Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. This episode of the Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School. Not Sorry Art School is my online art school I created two and a half years ago to supplement my workshop teaching when the pandemic hit. It became a really great resource where I could put all of my knowledge about representational painting into one space. We add one new section or demo every quarter to Not Sorry Art School, and you don't have to pay a membership fee. You pay one time, and then you get access to all of the past videos and all future videos. Not Sorry Art School has an online Facebook group where I have office hours every Monday, and I answer questions within the Not Sorry Art School Facebook group. And there's also a wonderful sense of community on there where people will share their paintings and get great consensual feedback. I'm really excited about Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested, make sure to click the link and check out the about page to learn more about Not Sorry Art School. Hey y'all, welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari, thanks for being here. Today's episode is about where are the working class artists? If you know me and you know my artwork, then I'm sure this episode will come as absolutely no surprise. A lot of my subject and inspiration and the way I sort of contextualize my art is by looking at it through a class conscious lens. I grew up below the poverty line. My mom worked at the Bass Pro Warehouse, a warehouse with no air conditioning in southwest Missouri in the Ozarks and she supported five people off of minimum wage. I looked back for kicks and giggles recently of like what was her starting wage in 1999 and I think the starting rate was like five dollars and some change an hour. So yeah things were rough. I was but however that being said I was also incredibly lucky to be able to get into college and study art on a running scholarship. The first person in my family to get a four-year degree and I sometimes have to pinch myself it's a very surreal experience but I always want to be in a place where I'm talking about it I'm contextualizing it I'm acknowledging how lucky and privileged I was to be able to even do that and I think part of how I cope with that is by talking about class in my artwork but also what inspired this episode was I recently came across a couple of stats about how hard it is to be from a working class background and be in the arts and I just wanted to contextualize those articles a little bit and sort of explain them and talk through maybe a little bit of my lived experience as well as offer a bit of advice. I don't want to leave us on like a sad somber note. I'm hesitant to call it even advice but just some insight into what I wish I would have known years ago and you know of course you can't self-help your way out of massive income inequality in this country but I don't want to leave on a sour note so that's that's the episode that's the context and even if you are not from a low income background I still recommend that you listen to this episode because I think at the end of the day I think one of the points I would like to make is that we all suffer ultimately when our art doesn't include the viewpoints of a wide variety of people and when we basically as the data reflects leave only a small sliver of the population in a place where they can even pursue art we really rob ourselves of insights and experiences and understanding that I think ultimately our you know our media is powerful compounds the issue we have with income inequality and it affects all of us so if that sounds interesting to you keep listening thank you for being here I hope you guys enjoyed this episode 
So over on TikTok, I make videos of my artwork and for my pieces that aren't just like little studies or something, I will often give what surmounts to like a little art talk and it always sparks pretty good conversation in the comment section and a lot of my work is inspired by class topics and you know being low income in, in America specifically in a country that does have a tremendous amount of wealth and sort of what that feels like and looks like and I often will get people talking about sort of the challenges of being an artist who, who's low income and I I hear this a lot and I had someone specifically recommend an article to me from The Guardian and the I'm going to link everything in the show notes but the article is called huge decline of working class people in the arts reflects a fall in wider society and it's looking at a study and it was I will for context this was out of the UK but I will say before I jump into the data that I feel like this is relevant to people in the U.S. because the U.K. actually has better social mobility than the United States according to the Global Social Mobility Index. I think the U.K. is 16th, ranked 16th, and the U.S. is like 22nd or 25th, so a little bit higher than us in that regard. But anyways, the data basically says that uh, compared to the 1960s and 70s, that's a time that they call the golden age of social mobility in the UK. During that time, 16.4% of creative workers were from the working class, as opposed to now when the income wealth gap has grown tremendously, there's only 7.9% of people working in creative fields who are from working class background. Now, I will add a further bit of information here. They consider artists to be musicians and actors and visual artists by kind of a lot. It's important to note what this article sort of deems as working class and I had a hard time sort of finding a UK definition and standard for working class and that's because an interesting thing about sort of class and conversations around it is that class has this dual function in, in that it both can indicate a lack of material goods and sort of your material situation i.e. You don't have enough food, um, you are housing insecure, X, Y, Z. But class can also tie into more of a cultural component. For example, you know, someone can be considered working class, but maybe they actually are pretty well off because they are a mechanic and they didn't go to school and they work with their hands, you know, well off for, I, I think, normal people. You know, so it doesn't always directly tie in with, with low wages like a, as a perfect one-to-one, like something like a poverty line is strictly based on income. That being said, uh, I will also say that the article does point out that the amount of people who identify from working class has fallen from about 37% of the workforce in 1981 and then by 2011 it was only 21% but if you can sort of do the math you can see that it's still a pretty dramatic drop in amount of people who can participate in in the arts as a grown-up and you know the article goes on to sort of pose a bunch of different questions and at one point they say that in the UK that there have been initiatives to try to get more working class people involved in the arts that's very contrary to what we've experienced in the U.S. I remember actively having the arts department cut out from under me when I was in middle school. Not that it was gone, but that art went from a every year in middle school thing to you only had to do art for one, one of your three years in middle school. Anyways, all that to say, I think this article pretty much just raises a bit of a red flag, at least in the U.K., and it can assume that this is a similar trend in the United States that we are hearing less stories and voices from people 
you know, in these lower socioeconomic groups. Now, the other study I want to get to does take place in the United States. It was a study from back in 2019. There's a bunch of articles written about it from W Magazine to Artnet and Hyperallergic. But basically, it's no surprise. In fact, the article from W Magazine says, study, artists are more likely to come from rich families. And the subtext is, well, duh. Um, I think one of the interesting things about talking about class and art is that we have this weird sort of dynamic where we both have this trope of the starving artist and that we you know they don't make enough money to live and at the same time there's this sort of undercurrent of if you can make it in the arts it's because you have wealthy parents and I think that both of those takes tend to be pretty there's not a lot of nuance there and it can be really confusing to people who don't sort of understand the lay of the land when it comes to the art world and it's ever-changing by the way of how those two things can sort of exist in one and you know to very briefly touch on it I believe it's because artwork is risky and uncertain and it takes a long time to get the sort of connections you need to do the traditional gallery route and you know when we think about who has the support network to pursue those things it's people who come from stable or at least you know financially secure kinds of backgrounds and that's of course it's not a monolith you can come from an upper class background and your parents can be very opposed to art and not support you there is nuance that statistics tend to leave out so let's just jump into this data it was done by a danish economist again i will link these so you can look through them yourself and it was looking at the u.s census bureau and it was called the origins of creativity the case for the arts in the united states since 1850 And the data said that for every $10,000 in additional income a family makes per year, there's a 2% increase in the chances that the child of that family will go on to identify their profession in the census anyways as an artist, actor, musician, author, or similar creative professional. Another way of framing this is a person who comes from a family that makes $100,000 a year is twice as likely as someone who comes from a family that makes $50,000 a year to be an artist and to sort of up the ante on that if you are a family that makes a million dollars a year you are 10 times more likely than someone who came from a family of a hundred thousand dollars a year to be a working artist and I think that that reflects kind of what a lot of us know which is this particularly very high upper level sort of echelon of people tend to dominate the art world and sometimes this gets turned into a conversation around nepotism and I always think it's really interesting where nepotism falls off and conversations around generational wealth start and what that looks like nepotism the way I understand it is more connected to fame Um, but I do think it's semantics and actually my, my theory is that we are due for kind of a new privilege conversation I know that always stresses people out about sort of family of origin and connections and things like that but anyways I digress so when it comes to nepotism one thing I've, I've often thought so that this doesn't seem like I'm just attacking people who have connections because that is not the case at all you know really it's that if you took any slice of the population and gave them the time space encouragement and connections to be an artist I think any swath of the population would be amazing artists I think that if you frame it as this us against them kind of way again I'm not it's not a cop-out for the you know four people who own everything but you know that sometimes if the conversation is those people are untalented I think that that is a conversation that doesn't go anywhere because a lot of these nepotism babies 
are still incredibly talented. I just think humans are talented. And if you are given support and feedback and space and again, connections, then you will be able to be a good artist. I think where the issue comes in is that there are so many swaths of the population, particularly low-income people. And again, of course, that intersects with other marginalizations, of course. But so many people don't ever even have a chance to even try to make it as a creative. And so I think that brings us to our natural next question, which is, well, why? Why does this happen? And, you know, in both articles, they sort of suggest reasons. And I think, you know, one of them is access to education. I feel like that's the first one that sort of comes up. Schools are run incredibly differently and one case study for this is actually me and my husband so we grew up in the same town it's a you know middle middle to small city in southwest missouri and we had one school district and even between both of us i grew up on the rougher side of town he grew up in a more middle class side of town and we compare our childhoods and even within the same school district things were totally different like just kind of recently we were talking about field trips our son is going on into the school year field trips and I said yeah you know we always went to the zoo and then usually in the winter we went to the homeless shelter and he was like caught off guard and he said well we usually went to like the zoo and then we'd go to Jeff City or like the you know the capital and I never went to the capital and granted maybe this is one it just happened to my year or something like that but every couple years we would go tour the Salvation Army and he never went to a homeless shelter or anything like that on a field trip and you know I there's all these sort of conversations around school to prison pipelines and certainly those things exist I'm not exactly saying that this anecdotal piece of information is is a smoking gun but I will say that there have been so many examples of this that we've compared over the years of just like tremendously different experiences within the same school district and so even starting as early as elementary school middle school there can be a difference in what kind of arts you're exposed to now obviously the next thing is being able to pursue higher education that is getting to even go to art school prior to the federal government sort of backing student loans the conclusion of that conversation would have been simply people who are from lower incomes largely with the exception of a handful of scholarship students would have simply not been able to go to art school now that people can take out student loans in pretty tremendous numbers we have sort of another side of that which is that okay maybe you do get to go to art school but now you are chained to 400 500 800 payments every single month six months after you graduate when your student loans are due and if there's one thing about the art world is that the pay is super duper inconsistent not all the time I suppose you can be in a position when you're talented enough and you know people and you can get into somewhere like Disney right away I'm not again this is not absolutes but generally speaking if you're needing the kind of consistent pay that gets you to a position where you can make those payments those huge payments because you took out loans yourself and your parents aren't helping you with that then the idea of renting out a studio in a larger city And hoping someone buys a painting is incredibly daunting. It's not to say that that is necessarily a bad idea to go to a city and do that. But when you're chained to a massive student loan payment, your options become a little bit harder to sort of seize on. And that brings me kind of to my next point of, well, why are there not more working class artists? 
which is the risk factor. We know the old trope of I wanted to be an artist and my parents said, no, don't do it. I think sometimes this trope comes from the idea that your parents don't want you to have a you know wayward bohemian lifestyle. They want you to be in respectable society. I think that's more of the movies. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is not my, I, I don't know that world very well. But I do think sometimes very well-meaning concerned parents look at how much artists make. I will link a Pew research study about artists. But if you look at the census, so artists who are able to sort of say that they're artists on their tax forms, it's not particularly high. It's lower than the the median income in the United States. And again, more specifically, a lot of that pay is really inconsistent. That is to say, you might have one year where you can eke out $60,000 and another year where you make 12,000 off of your art. And that is not wholly unheard of. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad artist. It's just sort of the nature of the business unless you want to have like 80 different things going at once. And again, those things are hard. It's it's difficult to do. It's not impossible, but it, it is tremendously difficult if you don't have that support. Which brings me to sort of the other thing, which is the ability for your family to support you. And both studies, they whenever they were looking through the data and sort of parsing out why this huge gap between poor people not being in the arts might exist. It's simply the fact that you don't have a safety net in the form of your family. And there's safety nets on all sides of the spectrum. You know, if you come from a family that makes $50,000 as opposed to my family, which made less than $20,000 a year, you may be able to have a couch in the living room you can offer your kids because you're not transient or, you know, whatever. And that's your support you can give your kids. So maybe then they decide not to take the more stable job that isn't related to their field. And instead, they take a project and sort of hope that they'll have something lined up when that project ends. Because, you know, it's not people going out here just making terrible decisions. I think there is money to be had in the arts. And you can do it. It's just incredibly hard in the beginning. I feel like the learning curve, probably for all careers, but I know for the art world, is incredibly steep, right? They don't tell you a lot of how to do this in art school. It's notorious, like they'll sort of hint at like the importance of networking and they'll tell you how to write a good artist statement, all valuable things, don't get me wrong. But as to here's how you start paying your mortgage or your rent or whatever you, know, whatever you need to, to pay to get by instead of giving you that advice, they really kind of leave it open-ended. And that's, of course, because there's different ways you can be an artist, but also because it's not a clear path. So much of being an artist is just knowing people, being at the right place at the right time, being visible, you know, being very specific to a niche, all of these things. And, you know, it's becoming increasingly more like this across many, many different fields as we shift to more of a gig-based economy. But it's incredibly hard to plan out your future. And when you don't have parents who can either let you crash on their couch or their guest room, or maybe they even help you pay your bills in between gigs, if you don't have those things, the risk of not being able to do that becomes tremendously high. And I will also say, kind of on the final note here, is that if you do come from lower class and you don't have that safety net and you mess up, because of our lack of sort of social safety nets, it could be the wrong step that leads you in a place where you're experiencing homelessness and all poverty, but specifically that level of poverty, extreme poverty, is incredibly violent and it's hard to get out of. And it's just, you know, there's not a lot of sympathy. Someone will look at your situation in our culture of meritocracy and say, you weren't talented, you didn't work hard enough. And so injury to insult, you struggle, you fall down, you fail, 
and then you get blamed for it. And a lot of people, particularly people who've lived lower income, look at that risk and they say no. And they, they, no matter how talented they are, no matter how much potential they have, I understand 100% why someone wouldn't take that risk. So what are we missing out on when we don't have working class artists? In the Guardian article, they actually dive into, in pretty good detail, what it means to not have artists from working class backgrounds and talking about specifically how when there's only a few voices that sort of represent lower class, working class people, there's a real proclivity to sort of just go straight into poverty porn, as they call it. And it's this idea that it's it's very exploitative, it's very narrow-minded. And, you know, the argument basically is that you lack the nuance when you've, what I assume is basically kind of tokenize that lived experience. And I, I think that that's a really good point. I, you know, can see this happening. I think for me, what I think ends up happening more is that there's a lot of richness to sort of overcoming adversity. And when you are born into a world of adversity, you have a lot of stories from that. And it really does breed a certain amount of ingenuity and dare I even say creativity that I think can really help our our world and our society. And what ends up happening is if you do tell these class stories or use these class motifs to further a fictional story and you have never lived that experience, you run the risk of sort of flattening, two-dimensionalizing, leaning into tropes to tell those stories. And one thing is that when you're not really careful with those tropes, no matter how well-intentioned you might be, you could end up doing more harm than you even know because you haven't lived at the other end of the barrel of those tropes. And I think for me, that's what I fear the most. I had a video recently where I talked about sort of this idea of good poverty, bad poverty, or good poor, bad poor. And it's basically just a conversation around respectability politics. But when I was looking through and kind of sifting and doing research on it, one thing that I kind of came to the conclusion of is rags to riches story or stories of poor people who have good virtue and overcome or even poor people who have virtue and don't necessarily overcome in this world there's a lot of religious connotations to reaping those benefits in the afterlife or in heaven is really baked into western culture think of you know the little matchstick girl dickinsonian writings certainly a cinderella type story where a poor but beautiful and virtuous girl gets her her fair shake her good happy ending despite the fact that she's poor and so we have all of these stories that paints poor people in this virtuous light and it's an important storytelling device for a lot of western media However, we live in a world currently where because of the belief of a meritocracy amongst other things, it functions best to uphold our current system if our story around poor people aren't that they are good people at heart and they're in a bad situation. Rather, it really supports our current system to say instead that poor people are lazy or if they do work hard, it's because they don't work smart. That's why they're in that bad situation. And, you know, it keeps us in a place where we are less inclined to help and and offer assistance and then also more importantly it helps us offer a distinction as to why we are not in poverty because we are good and we are smart and we are hardworking. and so even if you are realistically one paycheck away from being in a really bad situation by sort of assuring yourself that you are of better moral standing you create a distinction even if that distinction is uh you know merely a mirage but again the last thing i'll sort of say on this is 
I do think we're at a place where people are always going to tell stories from sort of this class perspective. I think a lot of different groups of people, kinds of people, all kinds of different walks of life can sort of identify and see themselves through the lens of someone who is engaging in a, a story of, you know, again, it could be rags to riches. It could be moral despite your, your poor circumstances. I think that they're wonderful storytelling devices. And my only fear is that if we only have people who can't relate telling those stories, we run the risk of further reinforcing narratives that actually affect people's minds about poor people and ultimately people's voting choices and policies and real things that can affect the material circumstances of poor people. Okay, so the final thing I'll say in this episode is what can we do? How do we fix this? (laughs) I always pose that. I'm not saying I, I for sure know the answer, but I do think sort of a silver lining of being alive now, despite the fact that there's massive income inequality is that I do think social media can be a transformative tool. Now, I will always acknowledge that there is an, an income level at which you cannot even access social media. You know, you can be so poor that you have poor internet access or not a phone, despite it is, you know, very much a utility nowadays. And so I, I always want to acknowledge that. But, you know, if you don't have family support and you did get an art degree and you're paying on the loans and you're trying to figure out how to make it, I think one thing that you can utilize is the fact that a lot of people can sort of relate to that experience and that story and using social media as a way to communicate it. Again, it's not a silver bullet. You can't just simply, I will say, it's hard to simply hop on social media, tell your story, and then be able to pay your bills from it. It's typically a long game, which again is a huge part of the the, the gap, I believe. But I still wanted to mention that I do think that there's power in it. And I will just say personally, I don't think I'd be where I I am now if not for social media. The other tidbit I would offer is to stay connected to community as much as possible. Sometimes this is talked about like networking. I always stress out a little bit when I hear that phrase. But I think, you know, another way of sort of looking at it is, is connecting to people as much as possible and talking about class circumstances I know it can be really scary admittedly I had a hard time even talking about class because I assumed that there'd be an automatic dark cloud over me that people would just say oh well, I can't trust your aesthetics anymore you know you're you're low class and I, I will assure you that maybe there have been some people who have thought that but largely people connect and largely people care and you know especially I think in the art community again, people can really tap into a story of struggle and strife. And so finding people who you can say like, hey, I'm trying to make it as an artist. I'm looking for any in, you know, you may not be in a place where you can immediately start selling all your paintings. That's not really how it works. You sort of have to build up and and work on projects and slowly get there. But finding people connecting, say, hey, I grew up, you know, low income too. Maybe we can connect or you're from my town. How, you know, how can I meet someone? Finding a mentor, all easier said than done. I'm giving these tips as bullet points and I can acknowledge that that's probably not going to seem very helpful but I I don't want to end by saying if you're poor you're SOL so I'm leaning into things that have been tremendously helpful for me and then also I will say the last sort of thing is be careful with schooling school is great I think we should all have access to free education. I think it's important for our culture. It's important for everyone to not only learn technical skills that they can use for jobs, but also to reflect and be humans and think and invest in arts and 
Of course, I think all those things. That being said, if you're listening to this and you're considering art school, I'm not discouraging you against it, but I am going to encourage you deeply to make sure you know exactly what you're buying and treat it like a true investment. And the, the tip I'll give here is look at the staff, look at the connections, because who you're connected to and to a lesser extent, the skills you're going to learn, who you're going to be learning from, who your staff is, who they're connected to, what communities they're connected into is going to give you some insight into where you might be able to go afterwards. So if you see a faculty that isn't well connected and you're not well connected, I would be really careful and be okay when you're in the interview process. Remember, they, you are in control whenever you're looking at a school. You get in, that's great. I understand that that's part of the process. But once you're in or when you're a prospective student, I would say ask them, how do the students who graduate from here fare? If they don't come from a well-connected social system, you know, do you guys have infrastructure? Can you help me find placement and, and jobs and and all these different things afterwards? You know, ask questions. That is totally your right to do that. Okay, so truthfully, I could probably just give advice for an hour and I, I don't want to do that. Maybe if you're curious, if you guys message me enough, I can set aside a whole other episode to that and really give it its due diligence. But I, again, I just would feel remiss being like laying all that data out there and walking away. You know, I will say I I don't think we're anywhere near a place where we've had meaningful class conversations. I don't think we've had them yet. But, you know, I see more and more people starting to, to want to have these conversations. And do I think it's going to yield immediately more infrastructure for poor people and more jobs in the creative fields right away? I don't know. Probably not. But the last thing I'll say is, there are creative people at every single income level in this country, in this world. And just because you didn't grow up going to art museums and you're influenced by cartoons and advertisements more than Monet and, you know, all kinds of nicer, more upper crust type things traveling to, to the south of France, you know, just because you have a more working class background doesn't mean that you or your art is inferior. And if you're struggling, if you feel like you're having a hard time, please don't let it seep into your personhood. There is dignity and integrity in working through class struggles in the wealthiest country on earth, in a, in a wealthy country. And I want you to know that you have value and that your art has purpose and that you should pursue it. But I also want you to know that the cards are stacked against you. So if you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to reach out. And please don't beat yourself up. It's tough. It's a hard time to be a creative, especially if you don't have a massive network. But reach out to people and know that it's not your fault. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I have a hard time saying enjoyed, but I hope you found some of the episode insightful at the very least. I love enjoy talking through this stuff because again it's just something I really wish I would have heard earlier in my career and not felt quite so alone and you know just like I was out of my my comfort zone and so I'm hoping that that translates a little bit with you guys but thank you again for listening thank you for being here I hope you have a great rest of your day and happy creating wherever you are no matter what tax bracket you're in
As always, I would like to take a moment to say a huge thank you to everyone who has left a review. It's really helpful for podcasts in the first season. And not only that, but it gives me wonderful insight into how you guys are enjoying the podcast. So thank you so much. And this week in particular, I would like to thank at Gina Destry. So that's at G-E-N-A dot D-E-S T-R-I. Thank you so much for your review. And as always, guys, if you would like to have your handle, your social media handle read off on next week's episode, make sure to leave a review. Give me some feedback. Let me know how I'm doing. I always appreciate it. And again, thank you so much, everyone, and happy creating.